Brother Tim, thank you. Oh, man, you all have done a great job this week. And I think, am I on? Hello? Check, check. I am now. Go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Philippians 4, if you would do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. In a moment, I'll begin reading in verse number 4. Brother Tim, you've done a great job this week. And thank you. And all the musicians, I think they deserve a good round of applause. Amen. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow night and the choir singing as well. And thank you so much for coming back. I do realize when we left out of here last night driving home, we live in Winder on the other side of Winder. Boy, we went through some terrible storm, a terrible storm. I think there's some other storms coming even this afternoon. And uh, so we will try to get you out of here, as Brother David said, by 7.30. So don't go ahead and don't set your clock. I don't want to hear any alarm clocks going off or anything. But uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming back. I, I don't know about the attire tonight. I, I came in and Brother David had on uh, khakis and a blue blazer and a checkered shirt. Look at here. Brother, we look like twins. You must be Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm probably Danny DeVito then. Is that what it is? Yeah. But uh, we, uh, we are just excited about being back. Diane's able to be back with us again tonight. She will not be able to be here tomorrow night because she has some responsibilities at our church and she'll want to be there and uh, so make sure you get to speak to her tonight and uh, we're just grateful grateful to be there I, i'm just gonna let you remain seated and if you can get that over to philippians 4 in just a moment in the scripture if there's anyone that may could help me that would be great on the screen if not that's okay we got our bibles amen and uh, if you don't you can have your iphone or your ipad right it's all the word of god amen and uh diane and i started out in the ministry back in the late 70s and we started out first in a, a little town uh, called Ozona Palm Harbor Ozona down around the west coast of Florida uh, I was the um, minister of music and uh, students it was one of those dual role things and so I did that for served on staff for five years and uh, but my first pastorate uh, I started when I was 24 in my first pastorate and uh, it was down in Red Level Alabama I was the pastor of Buck Creek Baptist Church in Red Level, Alabama. And uh, we were so excited about being there. And uh, God just began to do a, a good work in that ministry while we were there. And, and the chairman of deacons and his wife to this day, they were with us just a few months ago. Uh, they're like parents to us. Morgan and Becky Rogers, we're still very close to them. And uh, the church did not have a pastorium or uh, anywhere for the pastor to live, although the church was very strong rural church and so when they called me as pastor they determined they would build us a new home and i'd never lived in a new home as a matter of fact growing up in the projects and then in the mill village i took a few years and lived out in the country as i told you about last night and some uh, uh, my dad raising and we were uh, raising chickens and uh, but uh, we never had experienced anything like that and diane i don't know if you remember or not but they allowed you to pick out all the flooring uh they allowed you to uh Pick out the colors of the wall. Man, they built me an office, David, that was second to none. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, they were so gracious to us. And uh, Tommy Jr., and I'll tell this on him since he's not here tonight. He ought to be here. But one of the things that was interesting is they always made sure we had plenty of vegetables. And they made sure we always had plenty of meat. Uh, if we pulled into this new home, they would have a sign. Sometimes you couldn't even pull into the garage, two-car garage, because they'd have so many uh, new red potatoes and things spread out there. Uh, on, the, in the, on the garage floor. And uh, there were oftentimes, as we'd start to go into the, the uh, kitchen door, uh, there would literally uh, be a sign that said, check your freezer. 
And uh, we never had to worry about having steak. We never had to worry about having hamburger meat. Uh, we had lots of pork. And that's why I love barbecue still. I, we have lots of pork and, and lots of pork chops. And I'll never forget, Morgan and Becky had a, a farm. It was called a pig parlor. They had about 3,000 pigs in that pig parlor. And uh, that was one of their big farming things at that time. And uh, I took Tommy, and I'll never forget, believe it or not, uh, he was small. and he, was, he looked just like Cooper, by the way. And uh, he was up on my hip right here. And we were looking over into all the pigs. And he said, pork chops, pork chops, pork chops. <laughs> never forget it. And, uh, but they were so gracious to us. But one night in the middle of the night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Diane and I were awakened by two screaming children. Uh, Tommy was three. Stephen was about a year old. And uh, we lived so far in the country in that setting. If, if we saw lights coming down the road, we knew we had country. I had company. We lived that far in the country. And uh, on that night, I know you ladies won't believe this, but as they were screaming to the top of their lungs, I jumped up first. It scared me that much. I jumped up, went running into the room, dying behind me, and I reached and picked up Tommy out of that twin bed, and she reached and picked up Stephen out of the little baby bed, and in just a moment, even though they had been screaming to the top of their lungs, in just a moment, you could have heard a pin drop. Even all the whimpering, everything stopped. We went, uh, laid them back down, went back to the bedroom, and Diane and I had a conversation that night. And the conversation was like this. I wonder why they were crying. Uh, maybe they woke up in just the pure darkness. There were no street lights out there. We didn't have streets. Uh, you know, uh, it was just a, sitting out in the country. Uh, no street lights. Uh, it could have been that they heard a noise from animals because we had a lot of wild animals around there. Or it could have been that one had had a bad dream and began to cry, and so the other heard him and began to cry. We don't know why they were crying to this day, 32 years later. But I do know this. When Tommy and Stephen found themselves in the arms of their mom and their dad, they had all the security that they needed. There is a world out there seeking for security, and the sad news is they're seeking in all the wrong places. Tonight what I want to do is talk to you about why I have security, or the subject could be seeking for security out of Philippians chapter 4. And you can just remain seated as we'll deal with that text. I like the book of Philippians. It's a joy epistle. As a matter of fact, Paul writes about, uh, for instance, in chapter 1, he, he deals with the philosophy for Christian living. I believe it's in, in verse 21, he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In chapter 2, he talks about the pattern for Christian living. He says, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, he talks about the price for Christian living. For in that passage, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 4, it's the power for Christian living. And in verse 13, and say that verse with me if you would, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ whom strengthens me. Even though it is such a joyful epistle being written there to the saints who are at Philippi, there's something that I need to share with you. There was a division or a schism or a conflict in the church. As a matter of fact, if you look at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, Paul said there was some type of conflict going on between two women. 
Um, now, I hope none of you ladies are named this, but uh, the best way I can pronounce them, one was Euodius, which I'm safe. The other was Sintichi. And we don't know why they were arguing and fighting. But there was some type of dispute. It could have been who was going to sing the solo in the choir. Uh, you know, the devil will land right in the middle of a music program. Don't you get mad at me, but it does happen. Um, it could have been uh, who was going to be the WMU leader. It could have even been who was going to be the vacation Bible school leader. Now, I don't know why they were arguing and fussing, but there was a conflict going on in Philippians chapter 4, and verses 1 through 3. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to get a true yoke fellow to deal with this issue. And I'm convinced that at the end of this great book, that what Paul is wanting the church to see is that what you were singing a moment ago, and I quoted it last night, and I plan to quote it again, and it was just absolutely, I believe, orchestrated by the Lord as Tim began to sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject uh, seeking for security. Maybe I'll ask it this way. Where is your security? Where is your hope? How, how can God move in your life? Uh, who are you depending upon? Uh, who are you trusting in? Uh, and the Bible is very clear to say that. Paul says it very similar like this, verse 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation, your lifestyle, your conduct be known to all men, your gentleness. For he says, the Lord is at hand. Now, the Bible is very clear to teach us about the omnipresence of the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that this phrase, it says, the Lord is at hand, is speaking of the presence of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, I know Paul often talked about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Any preacher worth a grain of salt will preach that Jesus is coming again. As a matter of fact, to me, it seems like the world is setting it up. And it seems like even America is participating in that. And it seems that Jesus Christ coming is nearer and sooner than what we would have ever thought at this time. I'm telling you, the stage is being set. We're going to have the privilege in February, the end of February and 1st of March, to go to the Holy Lands for the first time. I'm all excited. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't mind being in the Holy Lands when Jesus came back. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, I hope that we are raptured uh, before I die. That death-dying thing scares me a little bit because it might hurt. But to be raptured, amen, just whoosh, caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And uh, the Bible says that certainly Jesus is coming. But I'm convinced with this dual meaning that the Apostle Paul says that the Lord is at hand, which simply means he is ever present with us. If you are a born-again believer, if you are a child of God, if you have been saved, the good news is this. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. The good news is this. He is with you in the very best of times, but he's also with you in the worst 
of times. I'm telling you, that does not scare me. That encourages me. That excites me. That helps me become elated because I know whatever happens in my life that my joy is not based upon my circumstance, but my joy is based upon the Christ in whom I serve because he is always present with me. And I'm glad of that. If you're at home alone, you're not alone. Jesus is there. He stays right there with you. He will always be with you. And so in the course of this passage of Scripture, Paul says, listen, if you're seeking for security and y'all over there battling and fussing as a church in the city of Philippi, hey, you better understand something quickly. I'm there too. You know what that ought to do for us? It should make us walk a chalk line. Do y'all understand that terminology? You can tell I'm from, you know, pastor in Alabama for 14 years. Do y'all understand that terminology? To walk a chalk line. That means to walk straight. Have you ever seen builders? And I'm not a builder. I, they, they talk at our church about, they said that Tommy could be on the demolition crew though. Man, I can tear anything up. I'm not much at building anything, but I can tear it all up. And, and you know, you've seen them to mark the chalk and, and we just redid our platform. And one of the things that I watched the Ricks boys do, guys in our church, is when they lined it up, man, they took that chalk and they, ran it and they popped that line. They, you got to walk, you got to walk the straight and narrow. And what ought to make us walk the straight and narrow and walk the chalk line, it should be that we know that Jesus is always there. You can run, but you can't hide. He knows and sees everything about us. Amen. I mean, he's worse than a mama who has eyes in the back of her head. I mean, he's present with us. He is right there beside us. And so Paul reminds him, listen, don't you get in all that squabble stuff because you've got to realize that really instead of you moaning and groaning and complaining, you ought to be rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because your conduct, your gentleness, listen, it is being known to all men. And remember this, Jesus is there with you all the time. Ain't that good, though? That's the good news. Amen? Some of you have gone through some difficult times in your life. I look across this congregation. Some of you ladies have had a time when your husband has passed, and you're all alone. You're never alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No. Aren't you glad, ladies? You're never alone. Some of you gentlemen in here have dealt with some death, and maybe your wife has passed away. There have been other issues that you've dealt with. Maybe it's even been some issues like I did. I, I actually fell and, and had difficult times, as I told you about in my life. And, and I want to tell you something. What brought me out of that, and maybe I hope I made it clear, certainly was I had a supportive family, and I had some friends who loved me, and I went through counseling and all that. But you know who the great physician is, and you who touched my life and helped me to bounce back? It was only the person of Jesus Christ. Because he never left me. He loved me. And uh, we had a, a great uh, niece that passed away just a few years ago. And uh, my brother and his wife were really like parents to uh, Scarlett was her name. And uh, she passed away. And this is the time of the year uh, when she passed and all of that. And uh, our sister-in-law still is dealing with that grief of the death of a child. Uh, no parent or grandparent ought to ever have to bury their child, should you? Oh, I want to tell you something. That's a difficult thing. I, I remember when my brother passed away, and my mom and I chatted and talked every day. And the hardest thing, she said, I just can't believe I had to bury one of my children. 
It's a difficult thing, but you need to listen to me, parents. The Lord Jesus Christ will see you through because the Lord is at hand. Not only do I see the Lord at hand in the presence of the Lord, and that's why we ought to seek security in Jesus as being the chief cornerstone. He is the one we depend upon, but not only because of his presence, but secondly, I want you to see because of his peace. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, y'all listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Preacher. Define for me, explain for me the peace of God. I can't. Mm -mm. I can't explain it, but I want to tell you what, I've experienced it. The Bible says it surpasseth all understanding. So you've got to understand that once you have been saved, your security is in him because he's present, but he also gives you peace and assurance. Do you know every man that I've ever dealt with and led to the Lord in over the last few years, it's been interesting. We've led several men, three different men that were 68 years of age. All three of those were 68 years of age who came to know Christ. All three of those men from different walks of life have said to me, hey, it is as if a, a, a ton of bricks have been taken off of my shoulders. You know what they were saying? God has given me peace. Now, you know why some people don't have peace? Uh, Zig Ziglar is one of my favorite motivational speakers. He went home to be with the Lord, I believe, last year, year before. I'll never forget when I was a young pastor, my brother took me to Atlanta and drove us up to Atlanta. We were pastoring in Columbus, and, and we went to one of the conferences that Zig Ziglar was teaching. Uh, Zig was a member at First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, and he was about my height and probably didn't weigh 130 pounds or so, just a little bitty dried up thing. And, but man, he was powerful and had a lot of energy and, and he was great. And not only was he successful in church life and helping pastors, but businessmen. And if you had dealt, dealt with any kind of sales and you may have been to some of the motivational or you may have seen some of his uh, uh, DVDs or you may have listened in those days to the old cassettes. How many of you remember Zig Ziglar? Thank you. Amen. Ziggy was good, wasn't he? When I went to this conference, spent all day in Atlanta listening to Zig Ziglar, and uh, this is what I came home with. Now, I I'm real smart. Zig said in that setting with thousands there, he said, do you know what's wrong in most of our homes? Do you know what's wrong in most of our businesses? Do you know what's wrong in most of our churches? And he paused. So I'm going to tell you what's wrong. He said, we got too much stinking thinking going on. Now that's profound, isn't it? That's what I came back with. But I've never forgotten it. Do you know why most people don't have peace? It's because they have a bad 
uh, priority and they have a bad disposition and they are so pessimistic and they are so negative that they cannot be positive. It doesn't matter what. And I mean, they, they just got stinking thinking. You ever been around somebody that's always negative, the sky's always falling? Now, let me tell you a couple things. Number one, I refuse through the years to hang out with people who are negative. You say, well, I'm going to pull them up. No, you're not. You're going to pull them. Are they going to pull you down? As a matter of fact, serving in church life for nearly 37 years now, we've dealt with a lot of people that had stinking thinking. I mean, let me just walk through it with you. It doesn't matter what you do for a preschool setting and a nursery setting. You can put the nicest facilities there, and you're going to still have some mom or some daddy moan and groan about how you do preschool. Well, my child, bless God, you done spoiled the snot out of them, and we're raising <laughs> rotten brats anyway. <laughs> Go to children's ministry. We bash children's ministry. Nothing can ever be right. Uh... We've actually had people get upset because their child didn't get the largest or the best award in Awana, even though we tell them in Awana, oh, all people are winners in Jesus. Amen? And they get bad. Student ministry. Oh, my. I did student ministry for five years. I'm telling you, you've got to be crazy to do student ministry. <laughs> you do. I, you know, you've got to be crazy. Uh, our son, Stephen, served... Uh, at North Metro First Baptist there with Dr. Frank Cox and then he went down and served as a senior student pastor with Dr. Stanley at First Baptist Atlanta and, and uh, then he went to Buford and now he's a pastor and, and I'm telling you, I've told him often you've absolutely got to be crazy to be a student minister and now Tommy has done that for years and, and, and you know, maybe it just runs in our family maybe it just takes us a while to get over that but my goodness you can't do enough. I mean, they want you to provide all these activities and be event-driven, and then you plan them, then they don't show up. And then if you don't plan them, they moan and groan and complain. Well, let's just come on to the adult life. The most negative, pessimistic people in the church are the adults. You get upset about everything. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. Preacher doesn't wear a tie. Whoever invented ties ought to be hung by one. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, sir. I have an excuse I don't wear ties much anymore. Um, I had about 10 of those little tags taken off my neck last year. My doctor said, if you'd quit wearing them, you wouldn't have all those, if you'd quit wearing all those ties and sweating so bad, because I'm, you know, I'm short and round. I got a big old neck, got a big old head too. And, and, and that big old neck, I mean, you know, I had to wear a big old shirt to just get the thing to go around my neck. And, and, and listen, I, so I told my church, I said, medically, I cannot wear ties anymore. So they hadn't been fussing. I stopped in June. I declared June and July, no tie month. It's August, and I still haven't put one on. <laughs> I will wear one to a funeral. Yes, I will. And I've got to do a wedding this weekend. I'll dress right. And, and, and I'm not saying I won't, but I'm telling you, it does not matter whether a man wears a tie or not. If he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and upholds the word of God, that's what really matters. Amen. I've seen a lot of guys with ties on couldn't preach a way out of a wet paper bag and was terrible. 
So it's got nothing to do with that. But we got folks that will fuss about it. We got folks that will fuss about the way the church set up. You know, whether you're going to sit in a... They're, they're arguing now whether you're going to sit in a pew or a chair. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Chairs are more comfortable than pews. Now, we can't put chairs in our church because it's not... We'll lose seating if we put chairs in. But we put chairs in up in the choir area and redid the choir and all that. And you know what everybody in my church is now saying? We want chairs. We want chairs. Bless God, two years ago, they had run me off. If we'd have done that. I mean, we will moan and groan about everything. I mean, you know, does the preacher stand behind the pulpit or not? Uh, it's the music, like I like it. Um, it's the choir singing all the old anthems again. Uh, I, I just need you to hear me for just a moment. It is absolutely silly that we have fussed over styles of music in the church while the world out there is dying and going to hell. Shame on us. Shame on us. Now, if it was up to me, every song would be Southern Gospel. Yeah, I grew up on it. And I can pick and play it with the best of them. I don't, I'm not bragging, but I can. And, and uh, I can get my family together, and in just a moment, man, listen, when my mama passed away, uh, some of the guys from the Georgia Baptist Convention came down to the funeral and one of them, O'Glenn McCall, one of our dear friends, walked out and he said, that was the best gospel singing I've been to in a long time. Hey, we even do gospel singing at funerals, amen? I mean, we crank up the guitars and the piano and the bass and the drums and we have us a hoot nanny and we do it right. But I know this, I'm not going to grow a church just doing southern gospel music. Not in Athens, Georgia. Not when I've got thousands upon thousands of students that need to hear the gospel of Jesus. But we got folks that'll fuss about that stuff. That's crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, we're gonna sing out of the hymn books. We we don't sing out of the hymn books anymore. Let me tell you what happened to me. I go down to uh, uh, I was in Vidalia, Georgia, doing a revival, and the Sunday before I left to do the revival, I mentioned to our church that you may come in sometime, and, and uh, because our pews are so tight, seriously, I'm not exaggerating with you, it's nothing like your setting. They're very tight. You're very crushed in there. And, and, and the hymn book racks stick out about this far. And if you're taller than six foot, you struggle to sit in our pews. So I just said one time, and I was just kind of said it in passing while I was preaching. Somehow it came out in a passage of Scripture that one of these days... <laughs> That one of these days, uh, you may come in and, the, and the, the hymn racks and the hymn books may be gone. And I, that's all I said. Lo and behold, I start coming home on Thursday morning. Because I had a meeting at Thursday night, association meeting at our church. And I'm on my way home and the young lady that was here last night, Dawn called me, who's our assistant. And she said, Brother Tommy, I need to talk to you. And she said, I'm going to send you a picture, and, and I'm driving now, coming home. And she said, you wouldn't believe it. I got a guy in my church that if I mention something like that, he's on it like that. Man, if I told him to paint those walls blue, by next week they'd be blue. So I got to be careful with him. <laughs> you know what he did? Now, y'all listen to this. Y'all going to get a kick out of this, okay? I, I'm still with my text, Pastor, I promise. Let me tell you what he did. He goes in and he just starts taking out the hymn racks and the hymnals and didn't even tell anybody. <laughs> he did it. And let me tell you how he did it. On this side of the church, about halfway, he took out uh, all the hymn books and the hymnals and then he went and left the other section 
And, and then he went to the backside on this side, and he took them out, and then he left them all in the front. And he literally said to me, he said, I'm going to help you, preacher, because he said what can happen is, he said the, the tall and the big folks can sit where the hymn books are not, and the little folks can sit where the hymn racks and the hymn books are. So you were going to have tall, fat folks over here and little bitty skinny folks over here. I promise you, I'm telling the truth. Man, I, I was like, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I had not been there but just a little while, short while, maybe six months. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? These folks are going to run me off. And so I called his best friend, and I said to Courtney, and Courtney can sell ice to an Eskimo. I said, Courtney, you got to help me. I said, please help me with him. you got to do something. He said, I'll take care of it. And just to be honest with you, what happened? Um, on Sunday morning when everybody showed up, uh, by the way, we couldn't put the hymn racks, the books rack back because he broke a bunch of them. <laughs> we couldn't put them back to him. You like that, don't you? He couldn't put them back. He broke a bunch of them. So by Sunday morning, he'd gotten some folks in there, and man, they took out the hymn books, racks, and the hymn books, and all of that, and uh, cleaned it up where well, you can't tell now there was ever one there. And just to be honest with you, I have not had one person say anything negative about it at all. I prayed a lot. <laughs> Why do we complain? Why are we so negative? Let me move quickly and share this with you. We can pick anybody apart. We can find something negative about everyone. There's not a one of us that does not have character flaws. Uh, there's not a perfect person in this room. And so what Paul says is, he says, if you're going to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, don't think on the negative things. Don't think on those things that pull people down, but instead think on those things that are lovely. Think on those things that are just. Think on those things that are pure. Think on those things that are honest. Think on those things that are right. He said, think and meditate upon the things of God, and God will give you a peace that surpasseth all understanding. Most folks who are miserable are pessimistic people. Now, here's the deal. They are not only miserable, they will want you to be miserable too. You know how to have peace? is not only by being positive, but it's also by prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and what? Supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. Um, and then he says that he will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Tomorrow night, I'll have an opportunity to speak with you on the very first point about having prayer in your ministry. But I do need to say this before I move on. And I say this with love and compassion. Do you know who the first people are that hear when there is a squabble or there are complainers in the church? The outside world. And do you know what type of reputation we build if we are complainers? We build a reputation that people say, I don't want to go to that church. All they do is complain. All they do is bicker. And, and, and we don't want that. 
We want our churches to be a church that people say, and they look at us, and they say, hey, that church has the security that we need. They have the hope that we need. They have the Christ in whom can change our lives because they understand that he is present, but we need that peace. You need to hear this. There will never be any peace until God is seated at the conference table of your life. Of your life. So the next time that uh, you want to complain, will you just remember Tommy Fountain Sr.? Don't get on Junior, because he loves you. Well, I do too, but you know what I'm saying. But I want you just to remember the peace that surpasseth all understanding is when we finally have said, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice, and I'm going to make sure that my attitude is right and I have a positive attitude. I don't have a stinking thinking attitude. And I'm going to make sure that my prayer life is right with the Lord. I want to tell you, he changes not only things, but he changes people. And he changes our position, our perspective, our posture as far as looking at other people. Would you agree with that tonight? Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you peace? When my dad was dying... I was serving at Southside Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. I had the privilege of serving there twice. Not many people can go back to a church where they had served before. And I went back, and I was the student pastor at one time, and I went back and served as pastor. And while I was serving there, my dad was critically ill. He was only 48 years of age. And I'd go home in Columbus and see about my dad, and I'd come back and, and do our ministry on the weekends and try to make sure everything's all right. And I'll never forget Sybil Brooks came out one, after, one, one day after church, and we're standing there shaking hands, and Miss Sybil Brooks said to, to me and to Diane, and, and, and was talking really to Diane, and she was on my left, and she was talking to Diane, and, and she said to Diane, she said, I just don't understand how Tommy does it, how he goes home and takes care of his daddy. He's only 48 years of old age, and he's dying with cancer. Then he comes back, and he's proclaiming the good news, and he's you know, smiling, and he's rejoicing in the Lord. And Diane said, and I'll never forget it, she said, he has a peace that surpasses all understand. I, I need to ask a question. Do you have that peace? If you don't, then your priorities are not in order. And as a matter of fact, tonight, if you don't have that peace in your life, you say, but Brother Tommy, you don't understand what I'm going through. Yeah, I think I've been through a lot myself. And I may not, but Jesus understands. And listen, every person's issue is great within themselves, right? We know that. You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I may not, but Jesus does. And Jesus wants to give you peace and assurance in your life. That's why I love that great hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Hey, have you thought about this? I'm an heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, been washed in his blood. You know what? That is our story. So Paul says... You want to seek for security? You want to know him? Know his presence. Know his peace. Thirdly, he says, know his power. Now I want you to look at the text beginning in verse number 10. I like how Paul says this. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now listen to what he says. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, this is, a, it is well with my soul. I have learned uh, uh, in whatever state I am in, whatever state I am, to be content. 
Paul said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound, and to suffer need. And then Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, uh, after the resurrection... Forty days with at least, recorded in the Scripture, 11 appearances. And Jesus preparing them for his ascension to the Father. And uh, explaining to them how that the Holy Spirit is going to come on the day of Pentecost. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power. And after that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, to the ends of the age. And when he said that, he understood that when he ascended to the Father, that the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit have we all been baptized into what? One body. Do you realize tonight that when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit of God lives and abides and resides in you. Now, it is very important for you to hear this next statement. The greatest source of power in the world is not money. The greatest source of power is not nuclear weapons. The greatest source of power is not military. The greatest source of power is not technology. The greatest source of power that is in the world today, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know what? You shall receive power. That word in the Greek they tell me, Pastor, is the word uh, dunamis. I like to tell folks, I'm glad I don't have a firecracker power living inside of me. I'm glad I got a dynamite power inside of me. People say, why do you get so happy? Well, I got someone to get happy about. Why do you scream? I got someone to scream about. I mean, I want to tell you, Jesus made a difference in my life, and he allowed me to be a partaker of that. I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and guess what? We have overcome death, hell, and the grave. There is a power who lives inside of us that the world has never, ever experienced. They can if they'll know Jesus, but one of these days when we get the glory, I'm telling you, the fulfillment, the fruition of the fact is the power of God who lives and abides in your heart and my life is not only enough to save us, it is enough to keep us and to take us home. So I'm not a fan of wimpy Christians. Well, we can't do this. We don't have enough money. Y'all listen to me quickly. Churches are dying because of a lack of faith and believing in the power of God to supply every need. For if you read verse 19, I'm not going to take time. That could be part of this message. But you remember what he says, but my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And churches are dying because they won't step out in faith. And they say, well, we can't do that. Bless God, have you seen the budget? Well, my goodness, if people just tithe and give what they ought to, you won't have a problem. None of us would. None of us would. 
But what are you going to do? You're going to go, well, we're going to wring our hands and we're going to go, oh, what are we going to do? I'm telling you, you need to hear this. My father doesn't only own all the cattle on a thousand hill, he owns the hill also, and he can provide every need that you got, but there has to be a point within your life and my life that we realize, yeah, we may know like Paul. Paul said, I know what it's like to be lowly. I know what it's like to be abased. He said, I know what it's like to abound. Paul said, I know what it's like to be hungry, but I also know what it's like to be full. But he said, in all of that situation, in all of that circumstances, therewith I've learned to be content. And then he said, I can do all things through Christ whom strengthens me. There's absolutely nothing that cannot be accomplished by Beach Haven Baptist Church if we will allow the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God to move within our hearts and lives and let's ask God to present His power among us. And it's a Holy Spirit power, by the way. Why not? Why not? I always worried about our boys when we were growing up. I really did when they were growing up. I thought, wow, how are they going to act? How are they going to turn out? Because, you know, preacher's kids are always the meanest kids in the church. And you know why they are, don't you? It's because they play with the deacon's kids. And, and, and it's very important. And I worried. I really did. I struggled. I thought, wow, what's going to happen, you know, in their life? Um, I, I'll never forget... Uh, Tommy Jr. Tommy Jr.'s had the privilege of being on some really good baseball, football, basketball teams and uh, won several state championships. And I had the privilege to coach one of those. And, and uh, he, he just, he's done very well. And uh, it appears even deep in the playoffs last year and this year he should be probably even deeper. And, and I'll just be honest, he's, he's a brain. I, we, we were told when he was little that he really ought to be uh, an attorney or a doctor. And uh, he just fell in love with baseball, uh, Brother A.B., and, and fell in love with sports. And, and that's where he's given it because to him, it's a ministry to him. It's, a, it's purely a ministry. And so he does that, and he does it very well. But I'll never forget when he was 12 years of age. Uh, we won state championship and got to go to the regionals. At that time, it wasn't down in Georgia. In Warner Robins, it was down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And, and getting ready for all of that. And I'll never forget one day, he was uh, behind the plate catching. He was a catcher. And uh, he was back there catching, and, and uh, he was catching the starting pitcher was throwing to him. And i never forget just asking him, I said, hey, is he ready? And, and Tommy Jr. said, yeah, Daddy's ready. And, you know, I just thought I'd be real nice and, and pick up his hat because, you know, it, that back, you know, even they had, then they had the full headgear, and he'd thrown his old baseball cap over there onto the side, and I had no idea. But I reached down and picked up his hat, and when I did, I saw in the bib of his hat, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I was proud of him athletically, but I was proud of him spiritually. Now, he also wore wristbands as a catcher. And on this hand here, he had uh, another scripture that said, Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> he did. True. True. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Uh, when he told me, he said, Dad, I had no doubt God's called me in the ministry. And he's been doing this bivocational thing since he was 17 years of age. He served on staff with me first, and I had the privilege of having him. He did a great job. He was the best staff member, Brother David, I've ever had because he could take whatever I had out on the table and he could do whatever I needed done. And that's the truth. He was that brilliant. You remember when he was helping me. And he was that smart. And he knew how to deal with people, and he was bold, but yet he was gracious. And I just wondered what God was going to do in his life. 
And you know he still believes that. You, you know, you look at him, and, and, and he's not here, so I can talk about it. Uh, you know, we thought he was going to be probably 6'2 or 6'3. Diane's family's tall folks, and uh, Tommy going into the ninth grade was the same height he is now, and he just, he has too much fountain in him. He just stopped growing. But I've seen that joker athletically do some things that most folks his size would have never been able or even thought that they could do. But he really believes Philippians 4.13. Well, our youngest son was our biggest challenge. He was. As a matter of fact, Diane thought that uh, he would never make it to be grown. I mean, by the time he hit seventh grade, he went brain dead. As a matter of fact, all he thought about was girls and sports. And he was very gifted. He has great hand-eye coordination, very gifted athlete, small but very fast, very gifted, very strong, and yet that's all he thought about him. And, and he would look you in the eye and lie to you about his schoolwork. Matter of fact, I threatened to have him put in the YDC. Y'all know what the YDC is? That's called the Youth Detention Center for not doing his homework and bothering his mama so bad. And she would come to me, oh, he's not going to make it. He's going, I mean, what are we going to do? He was our challenge. And he struggled a little bit when he first started high school. Uh, and I think uh, he was struggling with what God wanted him to do. So one Tuesday afternoon, it was about 9 o'clock when I got home. I mean, I had had a bad, bad day. It had been one of those pastor's day when everybody came in, didn't read, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, they moaned. I mean, it was one of those days. And I finally got home about 9 o'clock. And I got home and I sat in my recliner. You know, my feet won't touch the floor when I'm in my recliner, but it's one of those, you know, it goes up. And I sat in that recliner and I throw my feet up. And Diane brought me an egg sandwich. Amen. Nothing like an egg sandwich on good white bread and some good mayonnaise. And she brought me an egg sandwich and some chips. And I'm sitting there in my recliner like that. And I'm watching ESPN. Amen. Amen, fellas. Listen, uh, if you women can have PMS, we can have ESPN. <laughs> this is men's night, right? <laughs> so I'm watching ESPN. Diane comes in and she says, Stephen wants to talk. You notice I didn't look at her when I said that at all. <laughs> I am in trouble on the way home. I'm glad we're in separate cars. I will, uh, I'll make up, honey, I promise. <laughs> she said, she said, uh, Stephen's been wanting to see you all afternoon. And I said, okay, and I'm thinking, what has he done now? He came out of his bedroom, and I'm sitting in that recliner, leaning back, eating that egg sandwich, watching ESPN. I mean, I'm in relief. I'm in relief. And uh, just sitting there, he comes out, and he sits on the arm of that recliner. And he said, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I said, yeah, what you need? Hit the mute button. He said, I've been running from the Lord. 15 years of age. He says, I have no doubt God's called me to preach. And I want to tell you on that night, I wanted to go, no, no, no. It'd been a bad day. Bad day. Can I tell you what happened in his life? He graduated with honors. Everything changed. And I'll never forget his last football game. You, you got to remember, he was 5'7", weighed 100 nothing. 
and uh, uh, played on a very competitive ball team. Coach Wayne Trobit got a Central in Glenwood and, and uh, uh, was always on the field. And that last ball game, it was in the semifinals of the state playoffs, we got beat. Uh, we drove home. We had an old Tahoe or something. And we drove home, and, and uh, Stephen said, hey, I want to put all my gear in the back of the vehicle. And he rode the bus home with the guys. And we didn't get back home till about 2 o'clock that morning. And about 2 o'clock that morning, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was feeling a little bit odd. This was the last time I was going to see my kid play football. It was the last time I'd be on the sidelines with them. And it's a little odd. And so I told Diana, I said, go on into the house, and, and I'll get all the stuff out. And so I got his equipment out. And I took it into the washroom, and, and, and I began to take the pads out of his pants. And I threw his pants into the washing machine. And I, I began to take uh, uh, his uh, uh, jersey off of his uh, shoulder pads, and I threw it into the washing machine. And, and, and then I began to take that, uh, what do y'all call those things? I, I always miss it. I always called it Under Armour, but it's armor, not armor, I call it, it's Under Armour, it? that's what they call it, I always call it Armour All, but we didn't have that kind of stuff, that Under Armour stuff, and, and I, take, I take it off, and then all of a sudden, I see this shirt, I'm serious, it was tattered and torn, it was dingy and dirty and smelled, it was ripped all up, and when I first pulled it out, I looked at it, and I wasn't looking at it exactly right. And I, I just looked at it, and I thought, what is he doing? Why would he be? And so I walk into Diane, and I said, what, what, what is he doing with this? This is, oh, man, it smells. Has he been wearing this? She said, turn it around. I turned it around. And on the front like where it would say Superman, he had these words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I thought. Oh, God, help me to be like my boys that understand that the power in which they live and the power they have comes only from the person of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's in athletics. No, no, that's in every phase of your life, in my life, we ought to live like that. In every area of our life, we ought to say, yep, I can do all things through Christ whom strengthens me. Is it his will in your life? Is it? You know what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5? He says, Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how you are able to demonstrate the power of God in your life? Do you know how God is able to shine through you and flow through you that the world can see that you have the light of the love and the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ and God has blessed your life? Do you know how that can happen? The only way it can happen is for those of us who believe her. Hey, we've all been baptized. That's a one-time thing. When you got saved, you were immersed with the Holy Spirit. You were baptized, but the filling means to be controlled and empowered every moment of your life. I used to say day by day, no, no, no. It's a moment-by-moment -moment process as we yield to the Lord on a daily basis, and if you will be controlled and empowered with the Holy Spirit of God. We could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tonight, some of you are seeking for security. Some people find security in a church building. They even find security in a church name. They even find security in membership of a church. And what they do is they treat a church like it's a club. We are not a club. 
We are the church of the living God who has the power of the Holy Spirit of God residing within your life and within my life. And as he abides and lives inside of each of us, we can make a difference in a dark world. And Jesus can make a difference in your life. So your security is not in anything man-made. The only security we have is in the man who, Christ Jesus, who made the man. That's the only security we have. That's the only security you can have. You know what? A storm can come through here tonight, and it can wipe everything in Athens, Georgia, completely off the map. We dealt with that down in New Orleans. We were living in South Alabama. We went and did mission work in those areas when it hit Katrina. Y'all remember that? I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. I'm riding down one road, and it looks normal. I turn to my right, and I'm going, and all of a sudden, everything is gone. Everything is gone. I'm telling you, a natural disaster or catastrophe come by and wipe it all out. Do you realize as good as health you may be in, you can be healthy today and you can lose your health. As a matter of fact, my associate pastor, we buried his dad today and went to the service and all today. He was 68 years old, a farmer, and they got talking about how big and strong he was, and he was. And, and uh, Thursday morning at 6 o'clock, uh, a, a, a stroke took place and a, a large blood bleed, and he died. You can't find security even in your good health. You can't find security in money. Uh, man, the stock market can fall. Uh, a man can gain the whole world but lose his own soul. The only security we have is Jesus. Because if you die, you certainly can't take it with you when you go. Here's my last thought. If we are singing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, then why don't we live like He's ever-present with us and have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and bless God, know the power of the Holy Spirit of God so that we can see our nation come to Christ. Why not? You know who it's up to? Sir, it's up to you. Ma'am, it's up to you. Sir, it's up to you. It's up to each and every one of us. You say, no, it's not. It's up to Jesus. Oh, you listen to me closely. He's already paid the price. Everybody wants to put it off and say, oh, it's a God thing. You listen to me. He has always been God, will always be God. He sits on the throne. Nobody will ever knock him off. He'll always be God. And what you have to realize and what I have to realize is that it is now up to how we live our lives. He will only bless us when we know all of our security rest in him. I want you to stand with me and bow your heads for just a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask our musicians to begin to play. Here's the invitation tonight. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, this is your time tonight. You can think you're all right. 
If you don't know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, you'll never have his presence, nor his peace, nor his power. But tonight, you can give your heart and your life to Jesus. And you can know security like you've never known. I, I mean, you're talking about an assurance in your life that will help you to move in your life daily and will help you eternally. Why not tonight? Why not trust Jesus tonight? Because I'm telling you, if you're banking on someone else, if you're banking on technology, if you're banking on your knowledge, if you're banking on someone or something, you're banking on the wrong person. You're trusting in the wrong one. The only one that really matters is Jesus because one of these days, every one of us will stand before the Father. And the only person who can stand with us as our advocate, as our attorney, as our lawyer, as the propitiation for our sin, the only person who can stand with you and say, come on and say, this is my child, this is my son, this is my daughter. I paid the price for his sin. He knows me. I know him. The only person can stand with you when you stand before a just and holy God is Jesus Christ. Now, I like that. That's pretty good nepotism, by the way. When Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Tonight, if you do not know Jesus, this is your night to be saved. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to ask you tonight in this room, if you're in this room tonight and you know that you've been seeking for security and maybe you've kind of grabbed a hold of security and some of these other things, but you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, tonight would you be willing just to lift your hand and say, Brother Tommy, I don't know Jesus, but I, I want to have security in Christ. The only ones looking around me, Brother David and I, in this room, maybe to my left, would you, would you just lift your hand and say, I don't know Jesus. Maybe in the center section, would you say, I don't know Jesus. I need security in Jesus. Maybe to my right, would you say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need that security in Christ. Just lift your hand tonight. Just lift your hand. Listen to me closely. Tonight, Jesus Christ loves you enough that he came to this earth he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross of Calvary. They buried him. On the third day, he resurrected. He loves you enough. He put you here tonight so you could hear that you need security in Jesus. Will you come tonight? Pastor and staff will be standing here at the front waiting on you to come and give your heart to Jesus this night. Would you come? Would you just come and give your heart to Jesus? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I, I want to speak to the church for just a moment. Pastor, I'm done then after that. Because I'm going to kneel and pray and ask God to help me realize that my security is not in a building, it's not in a denomination, it's not in how much money we take up, it's not even in who likes us. But I want to kneel and I want to pray and I want to thank Jesus that my security is in Him and in Him alone, in Christ alone. I mean, He's the only hope I have, only in Christ. He's my solid foundation. Tonight, I want to ask you as a church. You've got a revival coming up in a few months. You've just passed a vision statement. You're doing renovation. But tonight in this church, from the back to the front, would you be willing tonight, on this Tuesday evening, would you be willing to say, 
And just make a, a commitment. You may need to come and kneel, come and sit, come and stand. Whatever you need to do, speak to one of these men. Would you be willing to say, Lord Jesus, my security is totally in you. And I'm going to walk in your presence because you're there. And I'm going to know your peace. Demonstrate your power.